Hey everybody, I just wanted to give you a heads up before we get going into the chapter 15 episode. We had a little bit of a mishap with recording with some of our equipment and Audrey's track actually ended up being picked up by her laptop microphone and not by her fancy podcast recording microphone. So it's going to be a little rough this episode, but if you just hang in there with us for chapter 15, I promise we will be sounding much more like our normal selves for chapter 16. Hello, Audrey. Hello, Kayla. How are you today? I am hanging in there. It has been very hot, which is the opposite of what happens in the chapter that we're going to talk about today. Oh my gosh, yes. It was a little bit of escapism in the middle of all of that uh, air conditioning debacle this afternoon. Honestly, it was a it was a nightmare and a half to read about. But you know, I imagine for you, why don't you okay? Why don't you tell people about the air conditioning debacle? Oh, okay. So basically, last night the power went out, and I have an old AC unit, and it still works. Like it's still blowing air, but the Freon apparently needs a new injection. So even though the the air conditioning is circling air or circulating air. It is 82 degrees in my house currently, but my landlord is an old family friend and he so kindly lent me his um, hurricane window unit. So you're not melting currently. I'm is... not. I will be sleeping on my couch tonight, but I am not. Understandable. I couldn't yes. blame you. But I am not dying, so. And in case yeah. you are not... In case people are not from Florida and don't know what a hurricane window unit is, all it is is an AC unit that you plug into a generator <laughs> when your yeah. power goes out so you can have AC. A temp, a temp AC unit. But yes. yeah, this isn't a podcast where we talk about AC units. This is oh, no. Mordor, oh, no. she wrote. It's a legitimate AC unit. It's just being used as one right now. And it's this true. is Mordor, she wrote. In case you're just tuning in, I'm going to first recommend that maybe you start at least at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, which is the book that we are reading right now. Kayla is not familiar with Lord of the Rings beyond one fever-ridden watch of the movies um, and teaching The Hobbit, what would you say, a dozen times? I wouldn't say a dozen. It's probably closer to a half dozen. I definitely read it closer to the dozen mark. Right. And I am someone who watched Fellowship of the Ring every day the summer that I was 12. So the that's kind of where we stand on stuff. I'm familiar with the books. She's not familiar with the books. Read them a chapter at a time. And today we're reading chapter 15 slash 3. Uh, it's the third chapter in the second book of Fellowship of the Ring. I've been sorely tempted. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying, I've have been sorely tempted to go back and rename the episodes for this half of the read, basically the new ones that we've just released so that they are like not confusingly numbered because I'm getting confused trying to add 12. It's like trying to read military time, matching well, up these chapters with how they're published. We previously established that I'm pretty bad at Roman numerals, um, so I'm fine with you naming them whatever you want to name them. Oh, man, military time is my downfall. Do you know how many times I got in trouble when I worked at Old Navy because I misread what the schedule said? But that's, because I forgot I mean, to subtract 12. Say it's 24-hour time, so it's just like 12 plus or 12 minus. I know, but I am not good at math. 
Uh, okay, well, math haters so. unite. This chapter is called The Ring Goes South, and we pick up exactly where we left off after last chapter, which was the Council of Elrond, where they discussed what they were going to do with the ring, and Frodo volunteered to be the one to take it to Mount Doom to destroy it. And now- yeah, That was basically everything I had written down. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. and now we got to decide I... what uh, what we're doing next. So I'm still looking for a note-taking like system that works for me, so this time- I wrote my predictions down before I wrote down my notes for the chapter. So I'm oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, so yeah, what are your predictions? Oh, but these predictions are for the following chapter, not okay. Okay, I will read. come back so, to that at the yes. end. Per I was usual. about to say those are still at the end. It was just like while they were fresh in my mind, I read the entire chapter before I took notes. I probably should have led with that information. So. It's a key piece of knowledge that helps me understand. But anyway, Sorry. so we we dive right into this with um, Mary and Pippin are kind of pissed off that Sam gets to go with Frodo and yeah. that they didn't, even though Sam wasn't supposed to be in like the secret council anyway. Um, but there's some, there's some, there's a theme that starts to come up. We've already talked about it a little bit about Frodo wishing that he was at home and saying that he's had enough of adventure already and things like that. And um, he says here that he can't think of a worse punishment for Sam than to have to go with him. And that is just kind of circling back to his this isn't fun. Like adventure is not fun anymore. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, there's that. Um, We went in wildly different directions with interpreting that particular that particular scene well then hit me and so i said uh elrond's big council is over so now they have a mini hobbit council and then the whole discussion with mary and pippin reads like when the older sibling is pissed off that they didn't get to do something that the younger sibling was allowed to do (laughs) You definitely took it in a more lighthearted direction than I did. Uh, well, listen, it gets real dark, so I was like... You're looking for the humor, but see, to me, the humor came in with Gandalf because Bilbo is here for this conversation, too, and he's like, yeah, it was just a lot of talk, and, and everybody was kind of surprised, including Gandalf. I think that the news about Gollum escaping surprised him, and Gandalf was just like, uh-uh, I already knew that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you did, Gandalf. it's something that i find to be very funny about about gandalf is that he always is like no i knew that -uh." i started (laughs) he's not the only one i started to notice a little bit of an like i think antagonistic is too strong of a word but that's what i'm gonna go with because it's the next nearest thing to what i mean there's a little bit of an antagonistic relationship developing between um gandalf and pippin and I'm 100% here for it. Yeah, it's um, what this is where he says the thing. He insults Pippin's intelligence, right? Uh, yes. Pip- Pippin says, I shall go unless they chain me up. There must be someone with intelligence in the party. And then Gandalf says that you certainly will not be chosen, Peregrine Took. Yes. It definitely is um, a little bit of Gandalf thinking that Pippin's an idiot. <laughs> And and there's a lot of like people treating hobbits kind of as children or like simple people, but it really goes to the extreme with Pippin and Gandalf's relationship. Oh, it's my favorite. It, that that has become 
one of my favorite things in the next uh, in this chapter. So, oh, um, so I have Mary and Pippin are pissed that they don't get to go on the trip, even though they do end up getting to go on the trip. Um, Bilbo points out that they have to wait to leave until the scouts from Elrond return with more information, and Sam is upset that that's going to take a while. Right, because it means that they'll be leaving in winter time. So even though they get to spend more time in Rivendell, and Bilbo brings up again kind of that like time doesn't mean a lot here. Like it's such a peaceful place. He do- he doesn't know how to count the days here. Basically, um, yeah. And- they also haven't decided who else is going on this trip yet. Like it's just Frodo and Sam right now. Right, I have that a little bit farther down, but. I think this also, doesn't it come up with Frodo as well that he's, like, very anxious about the amount of time that he has left? I think we've kind of talked about this already. Like, yeah, yeah. He, doesn't he want brings to go up again um, that he's very worried about, um, let's see. Yeah, so Gandalf tells Frodo that he thinks he's going to come um, along on the trip and... Frodo's talking with Bilbo about, you know, he doesn't, Bilbo's telling him, you don't have to keep a diary, but I want to hear all about it when you get back and we need to come up with a good ending for the book and all this stuff. Um, It's just a very meta description about um, Frodo's going to write down his adventures. That's one of my like disjointed pieces of knowledge. Like I vaguely remember seeing the very end of the return of the King. Is that the last one? Yes. I remember Frodo writing something down in a book. So I'm like, I'm assuming since The Hobbit also ends the same way and Tolkien is a slut for things that run in a cyclical nature. Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> is sorry, indeed. I don't mean to slut shame Mr. Tolkien, but... No, that was the appropriate usage of the word, I think. Yes. But you're right, so they... to disparage a person. Yeah, there's a little bit of a time jump. There's two months. It's December was passing when scouts began to return. So they're Mm -hmm. like making their reports about whether or not the Black Riders are still around and just like what word of the enemy and Gollum there might be. And so they end up being able to account for eight of the nine ring wraiths um, after they had been drowned in the flood by Gandalf. I'm going to throw um, in a mini Elrond. prediction right here that that one ring wraith that they didn't find is going to be a problem before the end of the book. Ooh, an interesting prediction. I love it. Uh, so so it's basically end of the year and Elrond's like, hey, uh, if you're going to take this thing, you got to go soon. So Frodo and Sam are going, Gandalf is going, and Elrond decides that it must be nine people because there are nine ring wraiths. And they need a small group so it can be stealthy. I mean, it sounds like a legitimate thing. I mean, we could probably jump down a rabbit hole of numerology right here and how, like, nine is the square of three and how three is one of those, like, magic or perfect numbers. I mean, you can also say something to the effect of um, a number of people in Tolkien's works claim to or indicate that they have some sort of prescience so it's possible that Elrond is not arbitrarily deciding this number that he's you know mirroring the servants of Sauron but also maybe he's seen a little bit of what's going to happen 
Okay, listen, out of all of the characters in this story, Elrond and maybe Gandalf are the two that I'm like, yeah, they probably can predict what's going to come, but I'm a, I'm dubious of the other species doing that. That's very fair. That's very fair. Another another mini prediction. I'm just getting so many of them. You're spoiling me. So they decide that in addition to Frodo, Sam, and Gandalf, that they want representatives of the other free peoples of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. So Legolas is chosen to go. Gimli is chosen to go. Aragorn is chosen to go. uh, And that Boromir is coming too, because he and Aragorn ultimately are hoping to get to Minas Tirith because of all the Heir of Elendil stuff, and they're reforging the, the shards of Narsil into a fancy sword for Aragorn and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and then there's like an kind of offhand, there remain two more to be found, and Elrond wants to send elves. But guess guess which two are going to fill those spots, Kayla? Merry and Pippin. Absolutely. And there's a fun little bit here where uh, it says unexpectedly supporting Pippin about Gandalf because when they argue that they should go with Frodo and Sam, Gandalf's like, yeah, they should. They definitely should. We should do this. There's kind of some nagging of hobbits again in this section. Like, it's true that if the hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare go, but they would still wish to go or wish that they dared and be shamed and unhappy. Yeah. On a completely irrelevant side note, I'm looking through my notes and I'm like, what the hell does M-E stand for? I decided I was going to abbreviate Middle Earth and then I forgot that I decided I was going to abbreviate Middle Earth. So (laughs) that's very funny, actually. So it says the free people of me. And I'm like, who is that? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. So they're all preparing to leave because they're going to leave in a week. And they hear lots of tales in the house of Elrond. Uh, Bilbo gives Frodo Sting, which is his yes, sword. Yes, from we have the some Hobbit. Hobbit. We have some Hobbit callbacks. We have Sting, and then his little like chainmail jacket, which his, his mithril shirt. I forgot that it was made of mithril. Yes, dwarf mail that Thorin gave me. So that is a treasure that Bilbo had from the Hobbit that he is now bequeathing to Frodo. And he tells Frodo not to tell anyone that he has it. So Frodo's just wearing it under his clothes. Right. I feel like that may also become a problem. (laughs) There we go. Mini prediction number three. This is great. I love getting them as we go. Then we uh, we get a song interlude where... Um, Bilbo is singing kind of a song about being sad at the window while he's waiting for people to come home from adventures and just thinking of all the heroes and stories of the past while he waits for people to come home. It's one that I kind of like um, as a poem. It's very wistful. I will say, um, as a uh, shout out to Chris, who guest starred on our first Chapter Backs episode, um... He was right. Listening to them out loud was much better than trying to read them on my own. I uh, I mixed up my reading this week. I played the audiobook at like 2.5 times the speed while I was <laughs> reading along with it because my narrator has such a slow voice. Nice. But it was it was better to listen to this one. But I will say 
I'm now beginning a count of chapters since we had a song, and the count is at zero. I am not surprised. Zero chapters since we've had a song. So, so excited to see if that continues <laughs> to be the case through the series. I, I, I think the most we will make it is one. One chapter without a song. Another prediction. I love it. I'm holding you to it. I wrote all of them down at the bottom of my notes for this chapter. Wonderful. Wonderful. So they're all geared up. There's a whole scene of of them talking about what they packed and what weapons people are carrying and what Elrond gave them for the winter weather. And um, there's a few things of interest here. So first, Boromir has a horn that he blows at the start of the journey that is like a ceremonial thing, he thinks. And Elrond tells him, like, you shouldn't do that until you're home again. Um, but we're led to believe that it's like a great war horn sort of thing. Um, right. Let's see. That's the main thing of note. They mention Sting. They mention um, they mention Aragorn's reforged sword, Anduril. So it's no longer the Shards of Narsil. It's you Anduril. mean it's the Flame of the West? Yes, Anduril, the Flame of the West. I have a replica of the sword from the movies. I'm not surprised. My brother got I also it for me wrote for down Christmas one year. I also wrote down the name of the sword, its full name in my notes. I'm like, yes. at least it'll be written down at one spot. Um, fun fact: I have another song. Let Audrey analyze. I'm pretty sure that's the song that Bilbo was singing. Um, yes, wonderful. I'm so glad you just let me analyze them because I do love them quite a lot. Just like some of them, I'm just like poet. Thinking about poetry is not is not my favorite thing in the world like i'll do it i enjoy it sometimes sometimes it's most i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest right now the time that i enjoy talking about poetry the most is when i have to teach a poem to my class and it's because i know i'm smarter than them unless <laughs> i told you it was gonna sound really ugly it's because i know i sound i'm smarter than they are as far as this one specific like area of content knowledge you are the so. gandalf to their pippin it it very much that is very much the dynamic. So there's that's about the only one time. Other thing of note here in their like gearing up scene. Is it where uh Elrond tells reminds them that they are taking this journey of their own free will? Like, no, but I do love that. Um it is the fact that Bill the Pony is coming with them. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Horse boy uh, Gandalf is excited. Oh, of course. And Sam is like, yeah, Bill the Pony, hurrah. We get a nice little like look into Sam's head as they depart, where he's kind of talking to himself and talking to Bill. Um, mm -hmm. And he notes one thing he wish that he had in his pack after we get kind of a laundry list of everything that he's packed. It's a piece of rope. Yes. Sam, what about a bit of rope? You'll want it if you haven't got it. Well, I'll want it. I can't get it now. That's the truth. And then, would it be a complete chapter of The Lord of the Rings if we don't have to do some trekking through somewhere? It absolutely, absolutely would not. The question, the answer to the question is no. It's We've been, like, what, two full chapters at this point without a trek through the wilderness and some dirt? They got to rest for too long, and now we have to go back to trudging. But, yes. Kayla, I did want to note, so this chapter... And the next are both kind of full of like adages, like middle middle earth adages. So you have, uh, you know, we have the bit where 
Elrond kind of says, yep, you're about to go on a journey and you're doing it of your own free will and blah, blah, blah. And then Gimli says, faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. And then Elrond says- Oh, they all rhyme. I know. And then Elrond says, but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the nightfall. And then Gimli says, yet sworn word may strengthen quaking heart. And then Elrond says, or break it. And I'm just like, what is this? Are these just like adages that everybody knows? Or is this just them being witty? It's genuinely hard for me to tell right here. Mm. I'm going, I'm going to go off the fact that they're all rhyming in nature, that this is probably something everybody knows. Or at least the non-human it does have Hobbit the characters. ring of like an exchange that has been had before, if not by these part- two particular characters with each other, uh, each individually with other people. Who knows? Maybe it's like a reference to the Shakespearean version of the Middle Earth version of Shakespeare. And it's Who just a ubiquitous, a ubiquitous bit of knowledge yes. to the learned folks of Middle Earth. But they start trudging. So, Kayla, where are they headed? What, what are we? What are we encountering on this journey? So, they take off on this first leg of the journey, and I think if I have it written down in my notes correctly, the first obstacle—that is not the right thing. Um, they have to cross the Misty Mountains. That's that's task number one that they have set themselves. But before they get there, they notice this very ominous flock of birds circling overhead and there's a lot of discussion as to whether these birds are like spies for sauron or if they're just a random flock of birds but i'm gonna sound very educated for a moment and i'm gonna be 100 percent honest i read this on spark notes <laughs> no so i read they- the whole chapter i read the whole actual chapter but this bit of an analysis is not mine no, it's um, okay. I appreciate I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, so we get just like they've been traveling. Oh no, no, for no! Like- I wasn't. I wasn't done yet. You're gonna have oh. to hold on a second. Um, th- I was, I was forwarding the bit I was about to say. Um, it points out in the analysis section of the Spark Notes for this chapter that, um, Tolkien's version of nature is not like these animals just exist. Like they're just here. They don't really mean good or bad things. Every single rock, thorn, splinter, feather of a bird is either aligned with good or evil in some way. You're either on one side or the other. There's no, like, gray area or area outside. So everybody's getting an ominous feeling from these birds, and that is kind of a a driving force in their decision to keep moving on. Yes. So you're right about Tolkien and nature. So he even describes like the area that they're in is uh, Holland and it's a land that is basically, they feel like they should be safe in it because it has historically been like a joyful place and a a decent place basically. Um, And so despite him like describing thorny bushes and, and rocky outcrops and uh, cold weather and stuff, they assume that they're supposed to be safe until they see these birds. And then there is a comment made at one point about how even if creatures don't serve Sauron, that doesn't mean they're good. That right. So this distinction between good and evil, like they're spies and like I've seen hawks overhead. And so it doesn't have to be that they're reporting 
to Sauron or or some overlord or something. It could be that they are just an evil creature because that is you're right. That is the way that nature functions. In you, you said it more articulately than I did, but yes, that's what I meant. No, I, I totally get that though. It's yeah. a good observation, and they are yeah they are basically non-stop forced march because of these birds and they I have are... to derail the conversation for one second is middle earth like a dystopian hellscape because there are ruins everywhere so we um, can't throw okay, a so... rock we can't throw a rock in this book without talking about the ruins of this or the crumbling so... castle of that or this abandoned city or that abandoned city Yes and no, and I will spoil a little bit of the Silmarillion for you here. Okay, Um, that's fine. Just in broad strokes. This, so the Lord of the Rings takes place in the Third Age, which in terms of Middle-earth, there were entire civilizations that rose and fell and had empires that spanned the world prior to this happening. Like, Middle-earth is a world in decline, in terms of the early races. So you have not as many elves here as there were. And there's often mentions of them going to the havens and going over the sea. And, um, you know, for instance, just the very existence of Aragorn, they talk about the fall of Numenor. Like Numenor was huge and had cities. And like Boromir comes to Rivendell to talk about how Minas Tirith is holding the line, but like they are losing cities and, uh, you know, the kingdom's not what it once was. So Middle Earth is in decline right now. That is exactly what is happening. So the ruins that are everywhere are from these ancient civilizations. They're from, you know, the men of Numenor and all the civilizations that existed in Middle Earth prior and truly just like glory days. So if you think about like Greek ruins and like Roman ruins, Roman ruins especially is the the apt metaphor, I think. Um, That is like, that is the entirety of Middle Earth. And so you have very few like unsettled, wild places of middle earth because they are all riddled with the remnants of civilization i guess that's got to be kind of hard to fathom as an american reader of this work especially like what 80 90 years removed from when it was first published that's probably a bit much but like it definitely is something where well i'm just pulling in the the specifically American aspect, because if you if you think of Tolkien and like the world he grew up in and the events that he lived through in his life, like we're talking what two major world wars, yes, um, at least, and then on top of that, he grew up in the British Empire, which has been continuously hab- inhabited since like I don't know the last eight to ten thousand years. Like, there's never not been somebody on the British Isles in recorded human history and it's just this it, it, and I could be completely off base with this but it 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 seems to me it would be in the back of his mind as an author growing up in a place where you're going to run into a crumbling medieval cathedral and maybe like the ruins of a roman bathhouse on your way to like school right. or the library or like the bar or whatever or the bar maybe in the old church i don't know but that right. would be something that would seem very ubiquitous to him, and I could see that maybe being expressed in his writing. I think that that, that is a fair a fair guess. And you're right that from an American perspective, the land isn't 
as historically old in terms of like inhabited buildings, like you have, you know, indigenous cities like Cahokia and stuff, but for the most part, there's not a lot of old architecture to be seen in America versus Europe. And so, I mean, the only building I can think of is the Castillo de San Marco in St. Augustine, which, which was like a military fort and still isn't anywhere near as old as the structures you're seeing in England. Definitely not. It's, was built anyways we don't need a florida no no it's it's a good point and i think the other thing that's key to remember is that like he's telling us how much time and distance has passed so these things are popping up a lot and it seems like a lot to us because of the pace of the writing and the pace of the reading but in between that he's like yeah they have been walking for 20 days you know but this is also a fundamentally different like fantasy experience than we have become accustomed to probably in the last 30 40 years of fantasy writing where it's something that you consume and then you're like and then you're done with it like you're a testament to this particular um (laughs) trend but it's it's not designed to be something that you can digest in one sitting or in one pass and then be done with because People don't continue to be obsessed with things like the Lord of the Rings if there's not something about them worth coming back and revisiting and learning something new about it. I think that's fair, too. I just think there's a lot of layers here, and part of that is the history of Middle-earth that you brought up, right? Like, it's not something that you're necessarily going to find out all the details in this trilogy, but there are other works because he has written an entire history of this place, this fictional land, you know? And on a completely irrelevant side note before we get back on task, um, I'm very excited that we've made it to a part in this book where like there's more meat to pick off the bones because my I have I have a little bit of footing in what's happening around me now. It's not just like, well, Audrey, you tell me what happened and I'll tell you what I think about it. <laughs> it's only gonna get meatier from here. Bring it on. <laughs> So, so they they had their bird encounter. They had their their nature walk. And I'm like, how many horror movies can we squeeze in? We've got the evil birds, and then yes, the birds from have... the birds. Uh, <laughs> the... I'm pretty sure <laughs> that right. this predates the birds, but it probably does. Um, but so there's like a quiet conversation that Gandalf and Aragorn are having that that Frodo overhears about them kind of debating which way they want to go, and they decide to go. Over the mountain, Karadras is the name of the mountain, and it is snowy way further down the mountain than they are expecting. And, like, they basically decide that it's supernaturally snowy. Oh, Um, and then this, yes, sorry, you can finish your thought. Nope, I don't have more thoughts in my head. Oh, no, no, no. So, okay, so we're talking about, they're like, oh, it's supernaturally snowy. It doesn't seem very good. So, like, this comes back to that nature thing where I was like, it's not just the animals, it's also, like, the trees and the rocks, they just, everything is inherently infused with this sense of, like, good or evil. And this whole encounter just kind of, like, encapsulates that particular that There's particular a theory. sense of aliveness to the weather and the land, you know? Like, the mountain is aware that they are there and it does not want them. There. And Gimli talks about it being like an evil mountain and stuff. And you're like, well, yes. maybe this is like just folklore. But then it, everybody else is just like, no, yeah, like he's right. That's prob- it's probably just an evil mountain, you know? Yep. And for a comical uh, side note here, I had 
Boromir slash Gandalf slash Aragorn, I couldn't remember who it was, seemed to sense the evil the in, evil intentions of the mountain. And then I have all of that crossed out and I wrote Gimli over the top. <laughs> well, Boromir says that he hears voices on the air, fell voices on the air, so evil voices. Uh, and Aragorn mm-hmm. confirms he's heard it. So they try to like weather it out, basically, um, in as much shelter as they can find. And they burn all the wood that they've carried with them and stuff. And it's just been... Not good. And um, eventually Boromir's just like, hey, uh, looks like Frodo's freezing to death. The hobbits are going to die. We got to go. It's like the snow gets up to the point where they find like this like rocky outcropping where they all try and take shelter and they build a fire for the night. But the snow just keeps coming down and it gets up over the side of the pony. And then eventually it starts like falling on them. And that I think isn't that when Boromir's like, um... Our little hobbitses are freezing to death. We should yep. probably get them back down the mountain. Yep. So he and Aragorn start to like cut a path through the snow. Uh, and so, okay, I have and the, this exchange. And then Legolas has a um, fairy princess moment. He's a, so he's kind of the comic relief uh, at times in these books. And uh-huh. I also think that he's just, he's a little bit of a like, troublemaker like class clown type uh because he says if gandalf would go before us with a bright flame he might melt a path for you and uh and then gandalf is like if elves could fly over mountains they might fetch the sun to save us and so then there's some more conversation happening but then later on legolas gets up on top of the snow because elves can walk on top of snow he's like not even leaving footprints in this like several feet deep snow and he's like farewell i go to find the sun to gandalf and i'm just like what an ass (laughs) that part that part was um my favorite comical moment and i know it's not supposed to be funny but it was funny is um all of the big people picking up a hobbit and don't them back (laughs) down the mountain i mean it maybe is supposed to be a little funny but they do. They Boromir and Aragorn uh, and Legolas all come back, having gotten their way through the mountain. Oh yeah, and it's so it's not just snow. The, the mountain is not just throwing. Oh yeah, snow the at rocks. Them. Yeah, there's like boulders and like half an avalanche basically coming down around them. So they get back down the mountain, and the snow drops off to basically nothing, super fast, which further confirms to everybody that hey this was a magic snow thing like whether it was sauron or something else or just the mountain being pissed off at us magic snow and uh and as soon as they kind of get down to the like clear area again big old avalanche so they're like well guess we can't go that way anymore and that leaves them with the option of well, we don't um, know what the other option is yet. That's uh Well, that's but Aragorn chapter. was not thrilled about it, whatever it was. Right. They never named the other option, but Aragorn was very much like, hey, man, I don't want to go back there to Gandalf. So, uh, yeah, we yeah. we leave this chapter with a very ominous sentence. Uh, Karadras had defeated them. Yeah. So, Kayla, do you have any other predictions? I know you gave me some mini predictions oh God, in the middle have- there. I had I had a about a whole page of predictions. Let's Ooh. just start at the All right. I finished the chapter before I did the notes, so now I'm including my predictions for chapters four slash sixteen. So we're just gonna start off with the title being A Journey in the Dark. This is where we have to talk about one of my um many disjointed memories of the movies. 
like how I don't know what order they happen in, but um, I a piece I remembered is that they are they end up in a cave somewhere because that's where it, it's a meme. It's a meme that you see everywhere. I I have no memory of this place, so I feel like that is the scene we're coming up on. And I also want it to be noted that yes, we read these chapters in batches, but I made sure to write down my predictions before I read the next chapter. So these are these are honest to God predictions that I had. And I'm I will so just proud of you. It's a good yes. way to do it. Yes. Um so earlier in the chapter we discussed that Gandalf and Aragorn had debated the two options for ways they should travel. The first was to go over the mountain but that didn't go so well for them so i think they will have to go with bad backup plan number two which is where i think the cave scene is um other predictions i have someone will e will and either get separated from the group or someone's plural may get separated from the group and the reasoning behind that prediction is that seems to be a common occurrence in fantasy novels such as this where the group is on a journey together at some point they get separated from each other um especially in multi-part series like this and we are approaching what i call the catastrophic incidents portion of the shit hits the fan section of the novel um i'm gonna be a little vague there that sounds great That's because a great set of predictions <laughs> all right well that is everything that we have for today kayla where can people find you online oh my gosh uh they can find me at professor kayla on instagram and tiktok um if you're expecting fun things you'll probably be disappointed but that's for my own entertainment um you can also find me at the broad chronicles um, that is my other podcast. It is my women's history podcast. In the next, I want to say, week or two, my episode about Queen Charlotte, the wife of King George III, will be dropping. Um, you can also find me on Instagram's new companion app called Threads, which is basically Meta's answer to Twitter. Um, so I far, hate social media so much. <laughs> The only reason I got on was I thought it could be helpful with podcast promotion in some hey, way. Hey, you let form. me know if it is. I'm not going to get on it probably, but you let me know. We have eight followers right now. So um, I'm on there as Professor Kayla as well. The Broad Chronicles is on there. Also, Mordor She Wrote is on there. So I'll save the, the plugs for that for the very end. What are you up to, Audrey? You can find me at Lady Tabletop online on Tumblr and itch.io. That's pretty much it as far as online social media and itch.io is not social media. I host a podcast called Alone at the Table for the Moonshot Network, where I play solo RPGs and I invite listeners to come along for the experience. Moonshot is a great network full of great people, so you can check out my show and others at moonshotpods.com. And Kayla... Where can people find this show and get in touch with us? So, I will go ahead and get the obligatory. We are, we have a Facebook page <laughs> out of the way. We've said it in every episode. I can't not say it. Um, the Facebook page exists. 
that's about all we can say about it. You can find us on Instagram under Mordor underscore she wrote. You can find us on threads under Mordor underscore she wrote because they are connected to the same account. Um, We have a Twitter that I barely use. And we also have a TikTok where I post um, previews of the upcoming episodes and um, any fun Lord of the Rings memes I see. So I will also say that if you encounter us on Instagram or TikTok, you are interacting solely with me. Um, Most of the memes and content that gets posted is me making fun of myself for never having read the Lord of the Rings. I so, just mostly, yeah, I'm eternally <laughs> grateful to Kayla for doing the social media for this show because I super don't like social media. I, it's a great way to waste time when you live by yourself and you're not married and don't have any kids. It gives you that parasocial interaction. Understandable. So. Well, that's it. You want to sign us off? Oh, man. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us and may the stars shine on the end of your road. Also, um, Elrond threw us out a different a different one this past chapter. He said, May the stars shine on your faces. Yes, and I think I like that one better, but... We can switch whenever we want. We're the bosses of this podcast.